On this episode of 7 Minutes in Heaven with a Scientist, we talk with Dr. Melanie Rudd, marketing professor at the University of Houston. She tells us about the importance of setting concrete goals when you're out to change the world and about the power of awe in opening people's minds. Welcome to 7 Minutes in Heaven with a Scientist, because everyone is a little bit curious. On this show, we spend 7-ish intimate minutes with your new favorite researcher. And by the end, we hope that you're as obsessed with her research as we are. So, Lauren, I don't know about you, but on November 9th, I was in shock at the election of Donald Trump. I was hungover, but I feel better now. What did you do as you saw all the states turning red? I felt sad. (laughs) (laughs) That's one emotion. It's a very true emotion. And then I said to myself, okay, it's time to be done being sad. What can we do now? So lots of people are starting to mobilize and we're mobilizing here too. And a lot of us are getting ready to dream big. That's right. And because we're part of Frank, we believe that all efforts to drive social change should be based in science. Duh. We like science and not just because we're paid to like science. So we've been obsessed with Melanie's study for a while now, and we really want to share it with you at this particular point. We think it's perfect for sort of dealing with all of these thoughts after the election and deciding how to move forward. As it turns out, lots of dreaming big is good, but when it comes to calls for action, dreams that are too big might be a call for disappointment. That's right. As it turns out, a spiritual revolution isn't the first call to action we should have after the election of Donald Trump. It's maybe the third on the list, but we'll get there. Let's listen. Hi, Dr. Rudd. Thanks so much for joining us. Happy to be here. So you study the dynamics between happiness, altruism, and calls to action. How did you get started in studying these things? Well, I've always been a bit obsessed with finding easy solutions to big problems, kind of things that anyone can implement. And when I was a grad student, one of the first big problems that caught my attention was time famine, just the feeling of having too much to do and too little time to do it in. It was actually kind of funny. So here I was, a poor grad student living in the middle of Silicon Valley, and the resource that I felt I was lacking the most wasn't money. It was actually time. So this got me really focused on researching ways in which you could expand people's perception of time so that they felt more time affluent or rich in time. And along the way, I learned how big of an impact something as simple as people's perception of time can have on their well-being. As a result, I just began exploring other ways in which people's happiness and well-being could be enhanced. In particular, I got really interested in figuring out how people could get the most benefit from behaving pro-socially and giving to others. And one answer that we discovered was that the way in which we frame our pro-social goals really matters. Okay, so in one study you found that concrete goals and calls to action make people happier than things that are more vague and abstract. But let's back up a bit. Why does behaving pro-socially make people feel happy in the first place? Well, although acts of kindness will directly benefit the well-being of the recipient of the acts, as you can imagine, they also actually create a very pleasurable helper's high, as we call it, that benefits the giver. So it's that kind of warm, fuzzy feeling you get when you've done something that helps someone else. And research has shown time and time again that doing things to help others is just a great strategy for increasing your personal happiness. So if we know that helping and and giving gives us this helper's high, is there a way that we can make the most of that? 
Yes. In fact, our research sought to show that even if people decide to perform an act of kindness, the way in which they approach the act can dramatically affect the helper's high they experience. So specifically, when striving to help others, it may be much better for you to frame your goals in concrete terms than abstract ones, as this could increase your helper's high. And in one study, what we did is we gave participants 24 hours to perform an act of kindness. Half of the people were asked to make someone happy. The other half were asked to make someone smile. Now, these goals serve the same same basic function, but one is framed in more abstract terms than the other. And what we found is that although people in both groups perform the same types of acts, like giving gifts or uh, preferring food and drink or lending helping hands, it was those who pursued the more abstractly framed goal of making others happy um, that were less happy than those who pursued the simpler concrete goal of making others smile. And what's more, we showed that this effect doesn't just apply to the goal of making someone happy versus smile, but to acts of kindness goals in general. We showed the same effect when goals were about environmentalism, like increasing the amount of materials or resources that are recycled or reused versus supporting environmental sustainability. We showed the same result in the health domain, like giving those in need of bone marrow transplants a better chance of finding a donor versus giving them greater hope. So it also didn't matter whether a goal was designed to benefit an individual, a group, or a society as a whole. The concrete goal still outperformed the abstract goal and delivered greater happiness to the giver. So why do you think that concrete calls to action or goals make people happier than abstract ones? Well, we discovered that framing a goal in concrete terms makes a giver more realistic about their prospects of success. So when expectations are too high, it can lead to disappointment and less happiness. But when you frame a goal concretely, you become more focused on how to achieve a goal, and that can help you better anticipate the obstacles and opportunities you might encounter along the way. So this helps you set accurate expectations that your acts of kindness can actually live up to. When you frame a goal more abstractly, you tend to focus more on why you're trying to achieve the goal, but not so much on how you are actually going to accomplish it, which we found leads people to set inaccurately high expectations for succeeding at their goal. Another reason why concrete goals are better at boosting your happiness is that you tend to feel more confident that you've achieved a goal when it's framed concretely, as the standards of success are less vague. It's pretty clear, for instance, whether you've made someone smile, but harder to tell whether you've made someone happy. And one thing that I thought was super fascinating from your study was that Prior, you asked people whether they thought the, you know, a, a big lofty abstract goal would make them happier or a more concrete goal. And everyone said, you know, they thought the big goal would make them the most happiest. But what you found was that it was the opposite. Precisely. Uh, so we showed participants two similar goals. For instance, the abstract goal of making someone happy and the more concretely framed version of this goal, making someone smile. And we asked them how much happiness they thought they would experience if they performed an act in service of each goal. Now, in line with the popular adage that one should aim for the stars or go big or go home, people consistently predicted that the loftier abstract goal of making someone happy would create a bigger helper's high. But what actually happens is that people would go out and perform their acts of kindness, and it would be those who had the more concrete goal of making someone smile who were significantly happier. Wow. So this is supported by other research that says that abstract, lofty goals and calls to action leave people kind of distressed and overwhelmed, like there's sort of a drop in the bucket and they haven't really made that much of a difference. Why do these abstract goals, why do they make us feel so left out and unaccomplished? Well, it's very easy to become demotivated when we feel that our actions are not having a meaningful effect or impact. And in the world of prosocial behavior, we call that helper's burnout. So our research suggests that one reason why so many people experience helper's burnout is that 
abstractly framed goals seem so attractive. I mean, who doesn't want to aim for the stars when they're helping others? The problem is that this means they won't be getting as much of a helper's high as they would if they instead reframe their goals in more concrete terms. Because they're giving so often and pouring so much of themselves into helping others, the helper's high they receive from their efforts is very important to encouraging them to continue to give in the future. It's needed to counteract the costs of giving. So it's very important that people see or feel like they've made a difference. And it's sometimes very hard for external sources like other people to simply just tell us we've made a difference. We kind of have to feel it to be convinced. And if people are framing their goals more abstractly versus concretely, they may reach the point at which the costs outweigh the benefits faster. So they may burn out faster. But framing your goals more concretely can give you a greater boost of happiness and make you feel refreshed and renewed. So a lot of people right now are looking for ways to take action following the election. And many are aiming, you know, super high. But your research suggests that they shouldn't. Correct. So it's all about the framing. So the idea here is that you want to keep the same basic objectives with your goals, but you want to start looking at them in a different way. You want to find ways to reframe your lofty abstract goals. We all have these big dreams, but to get the biggest helpers high and stay motivated, we need to work on reframing our goals in more concrete, specific terms. So this will help ensure that we're going to feel happier. And this is an important insight because the bigger helpers high not only makes you happier in that moment, but it more strongly motivates you to give again and perform more meaningful behaviors in the future. So it spurs a cycle of doing good deeds for others and then personal happiness. But do you have any advice on how we can use concrete actions to sort of become more efficient when we're trying to drive behavior and culture and policy changes? Yes. I mean, again, the, the real key takeaway here is that you, you don't want to squash someone's dream, right? What you really want to do is show that they can still accomplish their dream, those dreams, but in a more productive way by reframing their goals. So this is also important for any of your calls to action. You want to make sure they're framed in concrete versus abstract terms you're able to get the most out of your giving. So let's switch gears a little bit. You've also done research on the feeling of awe and its impact on decision-making and behavior. But I guess we should probably start with what exactly is awe? Well, awe is one of many positive emotions that humans experience. So there's a lot of positive emotions out there, whether it's amusement or pride or excitement or peacefulness. The research is starting to show that all these positive emotions are slightly different in terms of their consequences and what purposes they serve. And our work has found that all have some pretty unique consequences. Uh, one thing uh, that research has found is that you really need two main ingredients to experience awe. So the first thing you need is to encounter something you perceive as vast. Now, this could be something vast in terms of size and scope, but it could also be something vast in terms of complexity, ability, or social bearing, like fame, authority, or power. Second key ingredient that you need is you have to experience a need for accommodation, which essentially just means that you need to feel that you have to alter or change how you see the world. I really like the idea of using emotions to change things and mobilize people, and all of them seem to have different uses. So how do we use awe strategically? Well, our research has shown that the experience of awe like I said, can have a number of interesting consequences. And one of the things that we found is that the experience of awe can enhance people's perception of time. It can make them feel that time is more plentiful. And obviously, that can have a number of, of positive outcomes. So it could be very strategically used if you want people to feel that they have more time, uh, because we found that uh, that may actually increase the amount of time people give, uh, can actually make people less impatient or rushed or hurried. So there's some good strategic uses of awe there. 
We've also found that the experience of awe makes people want to create. It inspires a desire to engage in creative pursuits. And what we found is that this happens because awe makes people more open to the prospect of learning. That's so interesting. So experiencing awe makes us want to know more or know something different. Do you think that awe could also make us want to be better people? Well, yes. Now, first of all, like I said, awe is very effective at opening us up to learning. And learning is really the key for personal growth, which can make you a much better person. And that's the whole whole goal as you go through life is you don't want to stay the same. Uh, you want to grow as a person. And awe can open you up to learning and really help you along that path. Awe also has been shown to make us very present, very in the moment. And this can be a good thing, too. Uh, it really focuses our attention and makes us more engaged with what we're currently doing which also has an important role in making us a better person. You know, not being engaged in your current actions and activities, it's like you're not totally there, and you can't really be the best you possible if you're not really fully engaged in what you're doing. We've also found, like I said, that awe can expand people's perception of time and make us more likely to help others, so that definitely can make you a better person. It can also make us less impatient and increase our well-being as well, and a happy person tends to be a better person as well. So the first part of our conversation today was about setting specific goals. So how do we specifically use awe when we're trying to make social change campaigns? Well, first of all, uh, it really helps if you start to take away the mystery of awe. So when you can help people better understand awe, it becomes much easier to incorporate it into their daily lives. When they understand that you need vastness and a need for accommodation, suddenly it becomes something that's just as easy to incorporate into your life as it would be to say, hey, set aside some time for peacefulness or excitement in your life. Second kind of more specific way in which you can leverage awe is through your messaging. So our research has found that you can elicit awe in many ways, not just through personal recall of past events, but through picture slideshows, uh, through commercials, through print ads. So it's very possible to incorporate awe-eliciting things in your materials and messages. You can even use awe in your storytelling. You know, create this sense of perceptual vastness, either through what you're saying or even through the environment or stage in which you're on when you're doing your storytelling. And tell people something that makes them really think, something that's new and different and will likely elicit that need for accommodation. That's interesting because some research says that new information that challenges worldviews leads people to shut down. So how does that come up against awe? What we found in research is that it really often depends on the emotion that you accompany this new information with. So when you combine new information with fear or threat or anger, that tends to close people off. And they get into that kind of fight-or-flight survival mode, and as a result, they put up their barriers and shut everything down, and nothing's going to get through, and no change will happen. But what we are finding is that if you mix new information with awe, it's this positive feeling, and people stop being as closed off. So, yes, it's true we will often close our minds and not be willing to learn, but awe seems to be unique. It's this positive emotion that signals to us that the current situation is not harmful, and we don't need to put up our barriers. And what we're learning more and more is that awe serves this evolutionary purpose that really makes us expand our mind and encourages us to learn. So different emotions can serve different purposes, and awe can open us up in this particularly unique way. I love science. So, Lauren, what did we learn? Well, today we learned a lot of different stuff, actually. 
Um, we learned that setting concrete goals is the best way to keep everybody floating on that helper's high. Ooh, I love that. Sweet helper's high. Sweet high. Who's your high dealer? I mean, who's your helper <laughs> dealer? My helper dealer is social justice. My helper dealer is Frank. That's a good answer, too. Okay, I guess we should get back to this. Yes. Uh, we also learned that you can use emotions like awe to open yourself and others up to new experiences. And that's always a good thing. The more we learn, the better things are. The more you learn, the more you learn. <laughs> if you like what you heard today, follow us on Twitter at Frank Gathering, or you can find us on Facebook. We also have a monthly newsletter where we share science, best practices, and case studies on the science of social change. And as always, you can check out the work we're doing at frank.jou.ufl.edu. As always, stay curious and don't settle for small change. Thanks for listening. 